0: Welcome to our hen house. This is Jasmine Singer. And this is Marianne Sullivan. And this week, we will both be speaking with Daniela Castillo. And she is such a rare, wonderful human. In fact, I wish she was not so rare, honestly, because she is an animal rights veterinarian. Yep. Yep you heard that correctly, an animal rights veterinarian. This is a wide ranging conversation and it includes Daniela's personal history, which took her from Mexico to Australia to California, which is where she is now. And we'll also be talking about the state of veterinary medicine and the disheartening reality of the failure of so many members of the profession to stand up for animals. And Marianne, I enjoyed doing this interview with you. It's, it was like, a blast from the past to do it together
1: i thought we would be stumbling all over each other but i think we did fine but we were using a whole new method do you want to
0: do you want to talk about it Sure. Yes, I would love to. So basically, for Flock members, which we're going to talk a little bit more about Flock members in just a moment, but for Flock members, we started to turn our Flock Fridays, which is an invitation-only get-together that we do digitally, virtually, we started to turn it into a live interview. So basically, we're doing an interview and our Flock members are there watching us. And afterwards, we do a Q&A with the Flock with the guests uh, and then it airs. So this is one of those episodes where we were together, we were doing it live with our flock. And I, I mean, they were just listening, but if you do get the bonus content and you're a flock member, then maybe you'll hear yourself and your questions that you asked. So if you do want to learn more about becoming a flock member, then go to our henhouse.org donate, which by the way, Which is a good transition because it's an exciting time of year.
1: I just want to mention, too, that we're not going to do this every week. It's a a once a month event. And we're going to try to keep doing it in the future because I thought it was really fun.
0: Yeah, I loved it. And our flock members loved it, too. And Daniela was a perfect person to start this with. And I'm so excited that it's airing this week of all weeks because it's a it's a it's not even a national holiday. It's an international holiday. It might be a universal holiday. I like a. Intergalactic holiday, I think. (laughs) That's what they call it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what I call it. So, we're referring to my birthday, and it is not only exciting because I love birthdays. I love having a reason to celebrate, especially when the world is so messed up. I love other people's birthdays almost as much as my own. But Every year on October 30th, we launch our end-of-year fundraising, and this year, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd love your support as we kick off that end-of-year fundraising. And we know that not everyone is in a position to contribute financially, and of course, we love you all no matter what, but we have had a bit of a challenging year. I think a lot of animal rights groups have as well. So, we could really use your help if you're able. And this is truly the perfect time to make a donation because between October 30th, which is if you're listening to this, the moment it airs, it's Monday. Between October 30th and December 31st, all contributions will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. And this is the time where we do the vast majority of our fundraising for the whole year. So we just so, so appreciate you. And by the way, I know I'm monologuing here, but it's my birthday, so I'll monologue if I want to. We have revamped our membership options And we would really be honored to have you join our Flock Friends community starting at $10 a month or $100 a year. We have a new tiered membership levels, which which, with really great names, by the way. So you can be part of our Chick Click, our Squawk Squad, our Hen House Heroes, or our Barnyard Benefactors. And some of the perks include weekly bonus content access to our engaging flock exclusive spaces in our online community, and as I just mentioned, monthly invitations to join us in the audience for a recording of an Our Hen House podcast interview, a virtual audience, I should say, where you can meet the guests and ask questions for the bonus segment. And of course, we're a 501c3, and so your donation is fully tax-deductible. So if you are listening to this and you believe in our mission to mainstream the movement and the exploitation of animals, if you find community in our shows and our resources, and if you believe in media, then make a donation between October 30th and uh, and December 31st, and that will be matched. So our slash donate. And and thank you. This I just I'm I can't believe we're at the end of the year. And I'm saying that in quotes because it's like a season, end of year season. It's just bananas to me that we're here. But I just want you to know how much we appreciate everyone, including you. I appreciate you, Marianne. Yeah, let's not rush the, the the year. We're at the end of
1: the year campaign, but uh, we still have a few months left it's in true. 2023, and I intend to make the most of them. Well, that's you make making the most of whatever
0: life gives you. Absolutely, I'm going to watch some TV, uh, and then and then you're going to maybe like I'm gonna watch do some else. more watch some more TV. <laughs> now I do things besides watch TV. I'm going to go for a walk. We went to Penyan, which is a adorable town in western New York, to meet up with Vicky from our hen house. It was so fun. I just it was fun. I, diners. I, I know we've already talked about the Penyan Diner. And we're not like we're not we're not Penyan Diner influencers yet.
1: <laughs> and we have no financial interest in the Penyan Diner. I want that to be
0: clear. Seriously. Anyway, so let's talk about some of these articles you found because these this is like a birthday gift to me. I love these so much. Well,
1: I mean, I can't say that they're good news. I mean, the first one I want to talk about, I don't even, I guess it's rising anxieties, but it's more just horrifying. Well, it's definitely rising anxieties, but in the worst possible way. Uh, This is from The Guardian, though. Everybody covered this uh, story, which is good. Ex-officials at UN farming bodies say work on methane emissions was censored. This is why by, by one Arthur Neslin And so this is, I don't know whether you remember it, but years ago, and according to this article, it was 2006. I didn't realize it was that many years ago. The UN um, Food and Agriculture Organization put out this really big report. It was called Livestock's Long Shadow. Oh, yeah. Of course I remember it. It was really the first time that anybody was talking about the enormous contribution to greenhouse gas emissions of livestock. We're mostly talking about cows. It was a really big deal. And, you know, of course, we were We didn't even know that much about it at that point. And that was the point at which everybody started to know about it. And they estimated at that time that it was 18 percent of uh, global greenhouse gas emissions were attributable to farmed animals. Then all of a sudden, like, you know, it, it kept getting less. And less important and less attention. And so this article just comes out. And according to this, former officials at the Food and Agriculture Organization said they were, quote, censored, sabotaged, undermined, and victimized for more than a decade after they wrote about the hugely damaging contribution of methane emissions from livestock to global heating. Now, I know we shouldn't consider it. Like surprising when the industry has like this horrible influence, but I just felt like, you know, I, I I really recognize that when it comes to the government. But you know, I I just thought it wasn't that bad at the UN. Like, why is the UN so influenced by livestock industries? Well, like you know, that's a stupid question. Money talks. Let's face it, money talks everywhere. Yeah. So this these people finally came out. They're serving and former. Um, experts said that between 2006 and 2019, management made numerous attempts to suppress investigations into the cow climate change connection. Top officials rewrote and diluted key passages in another report on the same topic, buried another paper critical of big ag, excluded critical officials from meetings and summits and briefed against their work. And there was a lot of reports from people who worked there that, you know, like, like it, was not good for your career prospects to, to really bring this stuff up. They were talking 18% in 2006, which, you know, I think was probably too low to begin with. And then that went down to 14.5% in a, in a follow-up paper in 2013. And currently we're at 11.2% based on a new Gleam 3.0 model, whatever the hell that is. You know, a lot of scientists outside the FAO are saying, "Yeah, no, that's that's not what it is. Uh, one recent study concluded that greenhouse gas emissions from animal products made up 20% of the global total. A 2021 study found that the figure should be between 16.5% and 28.1%. And, you know, that's the one I really tend to trust because, you know, when they they pin it on a specific number, of course, they can't really figure that out you know it's just so giving it a range but i bet it's at the high at at the high end of that range it's just it's just horrifying like do these people think we've got another planet somewhere that we can move to
0: yeah this article really had uh so much wrong with it. I just want to say also the reason I said it was a good birthday gift is because I just appreciate your snark and I would take that as a birthday gift every year.
1: The other thing about it that's really disturbing is that, you know, they are talking about how at the next COP meeting the kind of things they're going to be talking about is how to fix it, you know, like uh, the organization's current focus is on making sure that scientific innovation is made as available as possible for farmers around the world. They had a global conference on sustainable livestock transformation, which looked at animal feed, precision farming, animal genetic resources. Now, that's not the kind of thing I want them to be looking at. I want them to be looking at uh, cultured meat. That's what I want them to be looking at. And the, the article concludes, the FAO and several meat and dairy industry lobbyists declined to comment for this story. Yeah, I bet they did. I hope they're horrified that this came out. I, You know, good for these people. It's too bad they didn't talk about this 20 years ago, but good for them that they're coming out and saying this.
0: Of course, they declined to comment comment on this. By the way, just going back to what you just said about the cultivated meat, I've been having more and more instances in my life where I have overheard people talking about cultivated meat. I forgot to tell you this. I was at the grocery store the other day, and I was getting some fake meat, you know, beyond or whatever. And I heard these people talking about- We're not supposed to call it fake meat. I know. I don't really care. So I heard- (laughs) I heard these people talking by it, and they were like, do you think that they sell, and they were still calling it lab-grown meat, do you think they sell lab-grown meat? And the person that they were talking to was like, uh, yeah, I don't know, I just heard something on NPR about that, and, and they just had a little chat about it, and it's almost like they were waiting for it. Interesting. Yeah, another thing to be hopeful about. That is very hopeful. Well, so is the next article that we have today. And by the way, I want to go back to saying this was a birthday gift. I always appreciate your saltiness, and i that's what I want as my birthday gift. So I think that's what's next here. Tell us about it. Yeah, this one deserves a little snark, I have to say. All right, this
1: is from... It's by Abby Cornegay from the Animal Agriculture Alliance, and it's from Pork Business, one of my favorite websites. In their own words, animal activists speak out at 2023 conferences. (laughs) The Animal Agriculture Alliance likes to put out warnings about how terrifying we are. They have this picture, which is supposed to be animal activists, which looks, I have to say it looks totally fake, but I don't know. Uh, Talking about several of these extremist groups convened this past year. The first conference that they're talking about, they point out while animal rights supporters make up an incredibly small percentage of our population, they are loud and aggressive. Well, I sure am. I just want to tell you that. And can mislead consumers about the animal agriculture community's commitment to animal welfare, sustainability, and other key topics. Well, fortunately, uh, though I encourage you to be loud and aggressive. You don't have to mislead anybody about anything because what's really true, as you all know, is bad enough, worse than you can imagine, really. All right, so DXC, Direct Action Everywhere, was the first one they talked about. That was in Berkeley on June 9th through 14th. And, and they just grabbed some quotes from each of these conferences. And I just think it's kind of fun to look at them. Like, yeah. I have to say, like, they know exactly who we are. Uh, everything they say, I, I tend to agree with it. For some reason, they put these quotes down thinking that people will be horrified that people are saying this. All right, here's the first one. When we acknowledge that animals are individuals who deserve compassion, justice, and rescue, we inherently negate the idea that they are just objects to be bought and used, sold and killed. These two perspectives, property and persons, are intentioned with each other. And with this campaign, we can bring this tension to the surface. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and That is such a beautiful quote. Like, do people read this and say, "How dare they? Those outrageous kids!" All right, here's another one: Rescue is our moral duty to stand in solidarity with those who are oppressed. We are turning the criminal justice system on its head. Well, they do really hate that one because that one is true.
0: Yeah. By the way, the the photo is stock. I mean, just going back to you saying that. Yeah. No, I thought it was. There is an irony to the fact that that. We don't have to make anything up, but they do, including the photos.
1: <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. All right. So that was the DXC one. Then they're also talking about the Animal and Vegan Advocacy Summit.
0: Yeah. Their biggest threat there was what? That it was like aimed at increasing individual and collective impact on the systemic food system. How dare they? Yeah. And there w- they say that there <laughs> were messages revolving around mass protests and opposition opposition to animal farming, duh. targeting major companies, like targeting is such an emotional word in this context. Like what what does tar- targeting mean? You know, it's not like target practice, it's campaigning. But go ahead, tell us about some of the quotes. I'll just give you one of these quotes. One of the key strengths
1: is mass protests because they can really create the conditions for transformation across the whole ecology and really push the issue out into the public spotlight. Like, what would be wrong with that? You know, yeah, we want to push the issue out into the public spotlight where people can see it. <laughs> Is that really that terrible? And another quote, when it comes to these cutthroat billion dollar companies, Tyson, Smithfield, etc., those are the entities that deserve no mercy. And if you want to ring the alarm on them, ring it. Okay. I found this article very uh, inspiring. They also talk about HSUS Taffa conference. And I'll just take out one of these quotes. State-by-state scorecards have been rolling out on a state-by-state basis, which literally hold legislators accountable for the votes they take or don't take for animal welfare. Well, how dare they tell people what their own legislators are voting on?
0: Yeah. Unbelievable. I have to tell you, I appreciated, I appreciated this article because I actually... It was helpful for me to see a summary of all of those conferences. So thank you. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. I completely agree. And, and if they really think, as I said, uh, I pointed out in the beginning, they said animal rights supporters make up an incredibly small percentage of our population. They are loud and aggressive. None of these quotes sound particularly aggressive and can mislead consumers. None of them are misleading. They like to say we're incredibly small, but then, you know, they write all these articles about us.
0: And there is one more article. This one sort of, I know that you didn't agree with me, but this one sort of reminds me of ones that we've been covering for the last few weeks because it, it talks about reaching that younger generation. In fact, that's what it's called. And it's from hordes dairyman, and basically it's talking about the fact that dairy farmers have a history of responsible production. (laughs) Bullshit. But many young consumers are unaware of their efforts, and so there is an online content-driven campaign being launched on various platforms to educate about dairy practices especially focusing on issues like greenhouse gas emissions and water use and animal care so that central theme there is a farmer is more than a farmer and it's highlighting dairy farming's comprehensive responsibilities beyond milk production and you know all of this is definitely the true definition of rising anxieties because it's a uh, you know they're trying to swing the pendulum back the other direction because so many younger people are questioning what they should be questioning. So tell us more about, what did you think of it? I just thought it was a
1: hilariously bad campaign. They are, especially dairy, is obsessed with Gen Z, because they're losing them, you know, they're already going out of business. If they weren't completely propped up by the government, they would be out of business. But things are getting worse and worse and worse. And and so, yeah, they, they put out this campaign, they, bragging about how it's going to be on tiktok you know they know where the kids are and all of this (laughs) and so there's two main signs here like their their logo says undeniably dairy like what the fuck does that mean yeah it's dairy i don't know this is what it says a dairy farmer isn't a nutritionist a meteorologist or an engineer they are all of those Like, can you imagine a kid reading this and saying a dairy farmer isn't, oh, a dairy farmer isn't a nutritionist or a meteorologist or an engineer? Really? Who cares? And then the other big sign that they have is a farmer is more than a farmer. What? Yeah.
0: Unbelievable. Well, and they also have like the. The Dairy Dream team of influencers sharing insights from direct engagements with dairy farmers to online audiences. Like, going back to how I want to be an influencer for the Penyan Diner for a second, there are actually influencers who this is their focus. And, you know, I I don't know why this surprises me, but... It's really funny to me.
1: There's loads of them, loads of them out there. Then they get paid money because this is from the checkoff program that, you know, it's administered. It's collected from the farmers, but it's administered by the government. So this is what our government is doing. One of the things they found that from a, the checkoff survey was that most younger consumers believe dairy farmers are good people who are doing the right thing for their land and animals. So really... They do need education. And this is the thing I thought was ironic. However, we also found about 56% have never seen a cow up close, and the majority have never visited a dairy. Well, honey, that's really obvious, because then they wouldn't think that dairy farmers were good people doing the right thing if they were visiting dairies. So they act like they want everybody to know, and they, I, you know, I don't know what's going through their heads, but they don't, they don't want kids to know what's really going on, on these on these places. It's just ridiculous.
0: I was sad that there are media partnerships with Vox and Time Magazine producing content on dairy sustainability. I agree. Mostly because I guess since Vox has a focus on animal agriculture, I was like, I always kind of had it in my head. You know, Kenny Torello always writes these wonderful pieces, Ezra Klein. Came from Vox and is, of course, vegan. He's at the New York Times now. But I guess I was like, oh, womp, womp, you know, but yet another indication that anxieties are rising and that corporate media is so much worse than independent media, which is why people should support our hen house because they believe in (laughs) pro-animal, responsible media. Did you see what I did there? Nice segue into
1: fundraising. I just wanted to add, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about Vox and Time magazine, because I didn't really understand that. It says another important aspect of this effort is partnerships with popular media outlets, such as Vox and Time magazine. What are these partnerships? It says Vox will produce videos, podcasts, articles, and social media content about dairy sustainability journey, featuring farmers and other subject matter experts, and time some similar stuff. Publish a video and article they're just buying content from box and time there's not is there going to be like any revelation that 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 box and time are getting paid for this to to produce this or is it just going to look like news i'm really curious about that
0: well i think there are legalities around that where you have to say like very in very tiny one point font this has been sponsored by i i hope so I think that you have to, but people should know just like we're consuming vegan food so that we know where we're putting our dollars. We need to be putting our dollars and our, our eyeballs on media that we are choosing to consume as well. So that was disappointing. But anyway, this was a funny article. I really appreciate that. So anyway, I think that our guest today would also really appreciate that article because she is definitely one of us for sure. In fact, I'm, I'm, Would love to be her bestie. Not her best friend, in case my best friend Erica is listening to this. I'm not replacing you. But like second or third on the list, I would like it to be Daniela, maybe. Go ahead. Introduce her, if you will. Daniela Castillo is a
1: veterinarian who totally gets it about animal rights, wildlife conservation, and environmentalism. Originally from Oaxaca, Mexico, after earning her veterinary medicine degree from Universidad Veracruzana and learning at a zoo in Veracruz City, she pursued a master's degree in wildlife conservation at Macquarie University in Australia. During this time, she not only discovered her passion for wildlife, but also realized the ethical and critical environmental reasons for adopting a vegan Lifestyle, which she did in 2010. In April 2016, she became a licensed veterinarian in California, where in addition to her practice, she dedicates her efforts to performing high-quality, high-volume spay and neuter surgeries and practicing shelter medicine for several nonprofit organizations. And she will be joining us right after this.
0: Remember when we came to you with the fabulous news that Dr. Bronner's, the ethical personal care company that we all know and totally love was making chocolate? Well, now we have some even more exciting news to add to that. This fall, Dr. Bronner's is adding three flavors of oat milk chocolate to their magic all one chocolate line. That makes 10 total flavors of ethically produced vegan chocolate goodness. The new flavors are crunchy hazelnut butter, creamy mocha latte, and golden milk chai. Oh my God, I cannot wait to try all of them, though I personally am most excited about the creamy mocha latte because mocha and I, we go way back. The new oat milk chocolate flavors will be available on the Dr. Bronner's website and at select retailers nationwide beginning October 24th, 2023. These will be absolutely the perfect autumn treat. If you want to learn more about Dr. Bronner's magic all one chocolate line, head over to drbronner.com. That's www.drbronner.com to find out more about the sourcing, ingredients, and production of the magic all one chocolate line and try it out for yourself.
2: Welcome to our henhouse, Daniela. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We're
0: so excited to talk to you. We've been really looking forward to this interview because not only are we doing this today with the flock watching us, hello, flock, but... In addition to that, Daniela, you're kind of like a gem in the rough and there aren't enough of you. So the real reason we're having you here today is because we... And it's not to get free veterinary advice, though that would be good. We want to figure out a way to clone you. So if we can do that, that would be amazing. So... According to your website, Daniela, you envision a world where the rehabilitation of wild animals and the sterilization and welfare of dogs and cats and the benefits of veganism are well-known and supported by all citizens. And I love that you bring up all of these things together. We want to talk about all three. And let me just say, who is that cat who is joining us right now?
2: (laughs) My ten Balito. uh, He's just being noisy and wants to be here.
0: (laughs) I'm totally in. We'll interview him. Him. he's welcome yeah he is so we want to talk about your practice but let's start with your vision for wild animals since i know that's an important part of your history can you talk a little bit about your history with zoos and wildlife
2: rehabilitation yes thank you for asking me that it's i'm very passionate about wild animals so when i went to vet school i originally wanted to be a zoo vet that was my plan all along and when i finished vet school in veracruz mexico I did a one-year internship in a government, local, very under-resourced zoo, and after a year, I had a lot of hands-on experiences. Like I literally did surgeries and a coyote and, and a, a crocodile. It was like super fun. And any vet will be like, this is amazing. But it made me really, really sad to learn that every single medical issue that our animals had were all of them caused by being stuck in a zoo. Like number one is a dietary deficiency, which we were not providing their natural diet. The second one was injuries so that they got in their cages. The third one was psychological issues, you know, these circling and hurting themselves because they were either isolated or too stressed about this stupid little train that went around the zoo, which you will think like, which animal is not going to freak out with this loud train injuries, diseases that, you know, other animals that were sneaking into the zoo were giving them. So at the end, I was like, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to contribute to this. After everything that I did to get through vet school, I decided I did not want to be a vet anymore. And I decided to study a master's in wildlife conservation, which I did 100% thanks to my Mexican government in Australia. And that's where I learned more about the environmental impacts of factory farming and the grass-fed welfare needs. And at the end, I came back to the US and I actually started working at a wildlife rehabilitation center, which was a brand new concept for me. I started volunteering and then I ended up working and becoming the director for the last nine months of my time there in Florida. And that was one of the hardest jobs I ever had, but the best job and the best experience. And so wildlife rehabilitation means rescuing repairing or medically helping and releasing into the wild orphans sick and injured wild animals that's what wild rehabilitation means which a lot of people don't know exactly you picture like a little you know drunk squirrel with a bottle of alcohol but that's not wild rehabilitation <laughs> that's <laughs> and and it's uh like a hard concept to get also and especially as a vegan i mean it was hard for me but it was uh so like one of the things is euthanasia. If you cannot release this wild animal into the wild, I like say like a raptor or any other animal like that is by laws, you know, by the wildlife conservation, depending on the state, you have to euthanize that animal or if they're considered invasive. So it's a really gray situation in some times, especially as vegan. It's a hard concept again. But what I have to say is to me, this is the only hope we have for wild animals for both to really understand contribute, volunteer to wildlife rehabilitation centers. Most of them or all of them are non They have very, very lack of resources. They are always asking for donations. And it's basically cleaning the mess of all of us as humans, because all these animals are also sick, injured and orphaned because of human activities, because our cats or our dogs are outside and bring a little bunny or a squirrel or a bird. Or, you know, the bird that hit the window or got caught with the tennis net or hit by cars, lead poisoning. It's all these human interactions that wild animals lose. And to me, as vegans, it makes more sense to give our money and our time and our volunteer hours to wildlife rehabilitation centers that contribute in any possible way to zoos or aquariums. So, you know, farm sanctuaries, I love contributing to them and and I think people should visit them more, but I definitely feel like we don't pay enough attention to wildlife rehabilitation.
1: Yeah. You know, I I find your comments so interesting because I actually live near a wildlife rehab center and they do keep the raptors and they have them on exhibition. And I just feel like I'm in a zoo when I go there. But at the same time, you know, I'm not used to being in favor of killing animals. That's a really, really hard piece of that world. So I'm really interested to hear your perspective on it. I have a bunch of questions about this because I think it's something that happens to all of us. I mean, if you live in the world, sooner or later, you you see an animal in trouble out there. So what do you do? What's your advice about the best thing to do if you see an animal who appears to be injured or sick or whatever? I mean, it used to happen in the city. When I lived in New York City in the middle of Manhattan, it used to happen all the time. You would find birds who had been injured. So what do you do?
2: So I think that's an awesome question, and I think for any animal lover, I would recommend to have in their car, if they have a vehicle, like a little cardboard box, a sheet or a pillowcase, a towel, and maybe like a leash. I know of this amazing website because I know the developer, he's from Boulder, Colorado, and it's called Animal Help Now that or, I believe, like all together, so whatever you're standing in the country and even maybe internationally, I right. believe, it will find the closest veterinary hospital or wildlife rehabilitation center for you. It asks you a couple of questions of what kind of animal and situation. Yeah, Most of the times, it, I mean, you want to find out specifically about the species. For example, if you find a rabies vector animal, I would not want you to put your hands on it at all, but just contact somebody that could help you, which is very challenging because at least in LA, I know there's very little help, like actual people to go and rescue an animal. There's just not enough people in the LA Animal Services. I mean, there's not enough people to help domesticated animals live alone. I mean, there's not enough vets. There's not enough vets, period. There's not enough vets that can handle or feel comfortable handling, you know, raccoons, possums, squirrels, even though they're like super easy to, well, I love handling them, but not everybody feels comfortable. And most veterinary hospitals are so busy that I can see them being like, you know what, I don't have time to see a squirrel or, you know, declining. So it is really challenging to help a wild animal. I really wish that we had more resources I just purchased and, and I'm offering a new service with a truck that I do surgeries for shelters, people, like private citizens. And I am going to help wildlife as much as I can. I do already for the bono work, but I know there's not enough people doing this. And, and I just, so, you know, trying to contact this app and seeing if they can look, if there's any wildlife center that can take the animal as soon as possible. Because most wildlife centers will have technicians and very skilled people that will recognize signs for Say, let's euthanize this animal as soon as possible so that, that she or he doesn't suffer. And, you know, euthanasia is a super, super uh, hard topic because for me, like I do agree with euthanasia, but I can absolutely not do it. You can see on my website that I do not offer euthanasia as a service. And even when I work for these hospitals that I do only surgeries, it's in my contract that I do not perform euthanasia. Um, mm. if, if it's like an emergency, I mean, I'm not going to say no to a dog that just got hit by a car or something like that, but no, no. Believe it or not, there's a lot of convenience euthanasia. I believe it. I think the economic situation really hit everyone, you know, with COVID and here in LA with the Hollywood Thing. It's crazy that most people cannot afford things that we recommend to work out their problems and they just choose to let them go because it's easier for them to just let them go than pay literally thousands of dollars yeah. to save or try to save their animals. So it's, it's such a hard situation to be like, honestly, some days I don't want to be a vet anymore.
0: Yeah, I would think that would be the hardest situation of all. Yeah, totally. I was speaking with someone earlier today and this person asked me, like, what do I do with the pain and the the despair, you know? And it was such a shocking question for someone to just ask me. And then I just I wanted to show up honestly in my reply. And so I'm gonna turn that on you now, Daniela. (laughs) Given, sorry, (laughs) sorry, but I mean, like those of us listening to this and watching this now and Marianne and myself as well, you know, we have the weight of knowing about animal agriculture, it's always on us. And we're trying to navigate through the world in a way that can keep us sane. But you have this added layer, Daniela, and you just sort of alluded to it a little bit. So how do you deal with that?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. You put me on the spot. Okay, not in that order, but it all helps me. But I am on antidepressive medications. I was resistant to it, but I ended up trying and it worked. I don't know if I would be here if I didn't start them. Um, Alcohol. (laughs) My husband... (laughs) And my feline babies and my family in Mexico. Those are like the things I should say exercise and meditation, but I don't do it as much as I should. Uh, but I know it's a lot to keep your mental health. I don't know what I would do without my husband. He's uh, a longtime vegan and not in the vet field, but he will just sit down and listen to me vent about how messed up the vet field is and wow. like sometimes cry with me. So I feel like uh, I feel that company, you know, I feel as humans, we need that connection with other humans. And of course, I'm Mexican. I come from this family and we're really close and they know how much I struggle through my life about animal rights. Yeah. yeah. So that's my <laughs> honest answer. I really <laughs> want you. to talk
1: about growing up in Mexico and whatever, and about your background. But you mentioned something that I'd really like to get into first, because we had Crystal Heath on from Our Honor, which I think you're on the board and I think you co-founded. And so we've talked a little bit about what's wrong with the vet profession, but it's such an enormously important topic. I'd really like to get your take. Why aren't vets vegan? I mean, I understand that there are some people in veterinary medicine who go into farm animal work and I, you know, I don't know what drives them, but clearly they're on a different world. But in the general world, why do so many people in the veterinary profession seem to not get it? I
2: think first, I want to say that I think the veterinary field is in a huge crisis at the moment, not just within us vegans, but just there's a lack like nationally of veterinarians. You know, school is super expensive. There's a lot of mental health, like emotional work, clients being a little bit more, or not a little bit, a lot more hard on us on social media, threatens. I mean, there's been like kills in hospitals from like really angry clients oh. and that uh, like, you know, killing staff. So that just one it's just so difficult. Like, I mean, there's not enough vet schools. Again, it's super expensive. Not everybody can actually get into vet school. And the few that get into vet school is just super hard. You know what? I wish I knew why more veterinarians are not vegan. I have a few friends around LA, which I am so happy. I wish that what was the answer, but I think just veterinarians are just like, People Like the same percentage of people that are vegans in not in other professions that are not veterinarians. It does make you think why there's no more if we see animals through vet school and all the horrible things that we do to them like on a daily basis. That's like my conflict, like my internal conflict when I am in hospitals. No, you guys have seen these, you know how we treat animals and you know how their nerve system is as close as to ours and dogs and cats. So why? We want to save dogs and cats and work super hard for dogs and cats. And, and then you guys go home and eat chicken and cows. And So believe me, this question is in my head all the time. I think it's a source of stress. And I feel bullied, honestly. I feel like people get defensive about this particular topic. In like Facebook groups, veterinarians will defend the idea of exploiting other animals from, um, how do you say, religious statements to mm-hmm. their personal belief that, that you know, like humans are on top of animals mm-hmm. no matter what. You're always in another way. I feel also that the, the field would be a little bit cautious because I've heard these from other vets that are considered themselves vegans, but not animal rights supporters that we shouldn't support animal rights because then our liability is going to increase through the roof because a human is more worth than an animal. Like human doctors, they, I don't know how many thousands of dollars on their liability a year. We have to have a liability insurance as well that I don't suppose is as expensive as human doctors, but it's something that is in our heads and we can get sued all the time or even a complaint. So this vet, I remember her words. She was like, you know, like imagine a, a person accidentally hitting a dog with a car when going to jail or being repressed as somebody killing a kid. And I'm just thinking, well, I do value my Own feline cats as my own kids because I decided to not bring human children into this world, and my cats are like our kids, right? So I I value them the same way that I will value a kid. So like if somebody killed my cat, I will want to have the same justice. But I don't know. I just I, I think we have also like a misconception of love these days. Like when you truly love somebody, you want them to be free and happy and not being hurt or injured at all, right? So I, I meet a lot of these vets that are like, oh, but I love animals since I was a kid and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, I also love animals, but I don't think about mutilating them, cutting their teeth. And so I can have them for lunch or, you know, like I love my husband, but I don't think about killing him and cutting him into pieces and putting him in the freezer <laughs> and eating him later. So like what kind of concept of love is it that we veterinarians say or any other vet staff, right? For that matter, to say that they love animals, and then they, then they go home, that's one issue that I have with a lot of these nonprofit rescue organizations that they claim to like, you know, love animals, but it's not really like that because they only love dogs and cats. So they should just change their marketing that they just love dogs and cats, not oh all God. the animals, because they allow animal products into the facilities. So it's a big conflict, believe me. Like I I think about these issues all the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Daniela, like we're all just nodding our heads vehemently with you right now. And we feel we're holding so much space for you. We feel for you because we're going through that as people who want to have ethical vets. You're going through that as one of the very, very few ethical vets that I mean, certainly in my 20 years of veganism, I think that you're the third, maybe fourth vegan that, that I've ever met. and And you don't keep your veganism secret, at least on your van. So what kind of responses
2: do you get? So far, like I... You know, the guy that did the rap talked to my driver and told him that he really was thinking the people that converted my van, like, you know, basically made it. They all have been telling me, you know, you have really made me think about it. But I mean, I don't get to talk to people while I'm driving it (laughs) because, you know, we're driving and I wish they would, you know. But so far, yeah, so good. And I'm hoping to, you know, park it outside of shelters. I have an appointment on a shelter in like a couple of weeks. So I'm going to be there doing surgery on a lot of cats. And I hope that I, if not already a lot of the stuff. Uh, think about it.
0: Well, and sorry, tell us about it. Like what is on it? I should have asked you that first.
2: So on one side, there's a picture of a piggy and a cat that says, why love one and eat the other one in Spanish and English. And then on the other side, there's like two phrases. One says something like, "We vegans have nothing to gain when you go vegan." That the meat industry has 180 billion to gain in a oh. year, or something like that. And then wow. also in Spanish and English. And then the other one, I think I left something that says, "We're destroying our beautiful planet for a few sales on our tongues or something like that. I, I, I don't remember because I was thinking about it. I mean, I talked to my family, and they were like, "No, that sounds too lot of line." And I might modify it. And then I have the logos of a lot of vegan organizations. like Vegan Outreach, Happy Cow, Our Honor, and um, I forgot uh, the name of the organization, but it's like a vegan sustainable organization just to kind of have people check them out. Yeah. And then in the front, it says, go vegan for the animals in red. In the back, (laughs) it says, uh, a vegan veterinarian asks you to watch any of these documentaries. And there's the game changers called Earthlings and Dominion. You make
1: excellent use of that real estate on your van. That's all. (laughs) I
2: saw a picture of it and there there is a lot to absorb on it. I'm going to, so the name of my truck is Furia Vegana, which means vegan fury. I think I said it right and not. But it's in Spanish, of course, it's a word that it's just like, it's a little of an angry truck in these times. I think there's a sense of urgency, you know, on this message that not everybody gets for the environment, for our health and for the animals. I mean, I just don't get how veterinarians are some of the most intelligent people, you know, not to like, was <laughs> uh, the expression, Uh But it's you know, it's hard to get into vet school. We have to get all this information in our head and be critical of information and how how still you know not clear that what is doing to the environment, you know, like how are we still arguing about these facts that corrupts for livestock are using the land, the water, you know, causing dead ocean zones. How are we not aware of like this pain that animals are going through when we mutilate them, when we remove their horns, cut their tails with no pain medication and zero analgesia, which if we did that to dogs and cats, we will literally lose our licenses, right? So like how as we vets, we're not connecting these dots? Um, yeah, no, I totally agree, I don't know why there's no more vegan vets. I think for vegans to go to vet school, it's a whole different. I think there's more chance for an already veterinarian to go vegan. But it's pretty hard to go to vet school as a vegan, I will say. And the majority of vegans tell me, oh, I don't know how you did that. And I'm just like, I don't know how I did it, honestly. Like, I don't know if I would do it again. I did horrible, horrible things to animals in vet school that I totally regret and done a bunch of therapy, which it doesn't remove what I did. And all the time I just keep thinking... Oh, this is a sacrifice. Like I'm going to be helping more animals. And that's what everybody tells me. But I feel like I have, no, it is a concept. Like I think this, instead of PTSD is inflicted something PTSD. Like, so I inflicted so much pain into animals, like innocent animals. This is like a syndrome in veterinary medicine that like these species or animals that we went to vet school, like the same that we are, you know, trying to save. We're actually having to kill, you know, especially these swine veterinarians that have to kill millions of these animals because of a disease or, you know, COVID or whatever. They suffer afterwards because they kill the same animals that they, you know, were trying to help. So I think we all veterinarians have a little bit of that in some way, but I feel like we vegan vets have it even more. And that's, mm, I will say, the majority of my own depression, like this relationship that I have to have with animals as a vegan it's sometimes like really hard like it hurts my heart to have to be like poking them with needles and like cutting their organs like I, sometimes it really gets in my head like I am a monster for these animals like I am literally a monster even though I'm trying my best but, you know like if you work a feral cat we're trapping them you know spaying them and nearing them sometimes with not the best pain control which is One of the reasons why I wanted to have my own truck and do like my own kind of medicine with my own protocols, because I get it, most of these nonprofits. I mean, everything is great here. and, And this is a really complex situation, the businesses of veterinary hospitals. Like there's no question like salaries, you know, laboratories, supplies, medications, vaccines, softwares, everything is increasing price, everything, right? So it's like, how can we offer these services? And still be affordable, such as, as pay and So the only way to do it affordable is with nonprofits. That's the only way. So my business is a for profit and I'm trying to keep my prices as low as possible. But if this is a business, like I need to pay my loans, I want to pay my employees a good salary. You know, I also need to leave and pay my bills. So it's really tricky, you know. And I think even non-vegan vets get told all the time, well, if you're a vet and you love animals, you should do this for free. Yeah. But it, it's, I mean, I'm not asking people to do things for free to me, you know? Um, yeah, so that was the other part of your question. I don't say it. it's easy to go to vet school as a vegan.
1: Yeah, I, it, I, I think that, that it, it has become so obvious that it's a very difficult world to live in. And, you know, it's partly because you're right in the middle of the incredible conflict that we all live in, that most people are in complete denial about it. Some of us are in less denial about it and are trying a little bit, but it's a frightening planet and we do frightening things. You mentioned something about farm animals and the issues that farm animals suffer from. And I know you work with sanctuaries and I'm just kind of interested, what kind of challenges? do they present from a veterinary perspective? I mean, we've heard a little bit about how they're not meant to live. And so they have, I'm sure they have really interesting, is that the right word? Terrible, um, terrible medical conditions
2: that you have to deal with. I think the first challenge that I see would be that there's not a lot of literature about older animals in my farm animals, like I mean, you can see here, I have a ton of books and I'm always, you know, researching and reading about and I have large animals, but there's not a lot about problems that geriatric or old animals have like arthritis or uh, like these hands that were genetically modified to be super heavy on the chest. I feel like there needs to be more like scientific information about how to handle these issues medically. And then the other huge obstacle that I see your challenge is by law, all these animals are considered food animals. So we as veterinarians, we can absolutely not use a lot of medications that we use in dogs and cats on these animals. And if we do, we could have our license removed. I mean, there's some medications that you can contact. Uh, the organism is called fera So you contact them, tell them what medication you want to use in which animal and why. And they will send you like, oh, well, you can use it at this dose, but then the withdrawal period, you know, before you consume eggs, milk or whatever is, uh, you know, these many months or weeks or years or whatever, which obviously if I'm asking about treating a patient is not going to be for human consumption. But still there's a lot of regulations that consider all these companion animals and our friends as food animals. So they have to be treated as food animals. So that's a challenge. I feel like there would be more options and there's like a list of medications that we can absolutely not use no matter what like is forbidden that will be another issue and then i think finally well the economic resource i mean these poor farm sanctuaries are not really making money you know it's not like a farm and i think it's economically challenged for people to find a vet that will work for them. I also heard that some vets don't even want to treat farm sanctuaries. I've had people contacting me. I had a, a sanctuary contacting me from New York a few months ago and asking me if I could be their vet. But I'm like, by law, I have to have a relationship in person with you and your animal. But she was like, there's no vets I want to see my animals because we're a vegan sanctuary. So I think it's, again, this predisposition from some large animal veterinarians that have this misconception of us vegans that we're crazy or how do you want to spend, you know, $1,000 for this chicken that values $10 or $5? Like, mm-hmm. they just don't get it. I do have to say as a veterinarian, sometimes it's a little bit challenging to to work with some vegans. And I'm not saying just... <laughs> They're very specific. So it's like you're trying to get things done and I want to move out with my next appointment. But this person is like doubting everything that I'm asking. And I get it. I get it. This is their baby. Like I'll probably do the same. Like I I was a client of a veterinarian when my baby had cancer and, and we lost the bottle. But I was on the other side of the coin as a client. And I was like, holy moly. I mean, it's so hard to talk to these vets. They're treating me horrible. Like, what is going on with the vets? Yo? But I think it's related to the lack of vets. So it, it's hard for us to give all this time and, and unlimited answers to everybody. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's, it's a lot of things that, uh, that, that these veterinarians are like, oh, you know, it's this kind of person. I, I don't want to deal with them. I just don't want to deal with them. You know, I have so many clients. I don't need them. So, I, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of issues going on. I, I see, like, I'm honestly a little bit scared because I feel like the scars of veterinarians is going to get even worse mm-hmm. in the next years. And like, you know, the backyard breeders doing COVID did a huge number. I feel like at least in L.A., there's so many animals. There's so many feral cats. Like I work at this place where we are open four days a week and we do from 100 to 150 cats every day. And every single day I'm like, where are they bringing all these cats from? And we don't have appointments until like two months in advance. So this is our book. I mean, during COVID, we had to close every single eater clinic because it was considered not essential. Mm -hmm. which a lot of vets argue that this is essential. I mean, we need to control this population that is going crazy in LA. So yeah, there's so many issues. Wow, there are
0: so many more questions that we can ask you, but I think we'll just do one more for now and then hang on to you for bonus. Block members, get your questions ready. But Daniela, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and how animals became such a central part of your life?
2: Yes. So I actually had a pretty happy childhood in Oaxaca, Mexico. That's where I was born and raised and lived for the first 17 years of my life. I always had animal companions since I was a baby. There was a dog around. And then I just, honestly, I don't even know where this comes from. And that's what I've always wondered if there's like a gene or a biophilia that it makes you be so close to nature and animals but i've always felt like this love and respect and i just wanted to touch and cheese and interact with animals and my parents were super nice they always let me have any animal that i wanted to have i adopted dogs cats geese turtles and fish and i mean i was in a normal house it's not like i was raising in a ranch or anything like that but i always had cats and every time that they will disappear or ki- or being killed I will just cry like crazy and my parents will be like you're not allowed to have another companion animal Daniela because you cannot handle it and then two weeks later somebody give me another kitten and you know I, I mean I'm definitely a cat person so I was just very happy and I just loved animals my parents basically let me dream about anything that I wanted and they always support me and said, anything that you want to do, you will do. It's just a matter of working hard towards your goal. And then eventually it will happen. And honestly, I feel like my life has been like that. Like every time that I really want something, I just put it, put it on my wall. Like, you know, when I wanted to go to Australia and study, I just made this huge Australia sign. And I just kept visualizing myself. So I, I think that I was very very, very, very lucky to have an awesome family. My dad and my mom were super open-minded and they always let me be and do whatever I wanted. They let me go to vet school. You know, my dad supported me. I started vet school in a different state in Puebla, which I did not like at all. And one day I took a bus to Veracruz to visit the vet school there and I liked it more. So I just called my dad from Veracruz and I was like, hey dad, guess what? I'm in Veracruz and I just decided I want to move here and Move vet schools, and, and he's like, Okay, when do you want to do that? In Mexico, it's common for your parents to pay for your school. So, again, I was super mega lucky that my dad was able to pay for my vet school and support me for five years in a different state, and I didn't have to work. So, I was like valedictorian of my generation. Um, and. I mean, after I finished high school, which is different from here in the United States, you can go straight to vet school. But I took a year off to travel and learn English. I moved to Connecticut for six months with an awesome family friend. And then I traveled through uh, Europe by myself for two months, which my parents also let me do. I don't know how they let me do, because if I had a kid, I will absolutely not let them go by themselves to Europe. But they let me in. So they just let me fly and they let me dream. So I honestly believe that anything can happen. Like you can have impacting the world if you want. You can change the world if you really want it. And I'm trying, you know, to change the world for animals, as many of you, and I feel so happy that you guys are there and you guys have so many people believing the same things. When I was in vet school, I thought I was an alien. I did not know anybody else that had the same ideas as me. I mean, honestly, I think they thought I was like crazy, but it was always my goal to, to fight for animal rights. And when I met Crystal, and I met all these amazing vegan veterinarians, in then they, I can name maybe nine vets that are vegan, and they're my friends. And I'm so happy that I live here in Los Angeles, and that I have these soul brothers, and that there's other veterinarians that think like me, and I'm not crazy.
0: Well, you are definitely not crazy. <laughs> I just want to scream that from the rooftops, and... We are just so, so honored to have had you today to chat with us here at our hen house, Daniela. And before we get to the bonus content, which will be an interactive Q&A with our flock, the folks who are watching this live right now, can you please just tell our listeners how they can find you online and
2: support your efforts? Yes, thank you. Uh, You guys can go to my website, which is castilloanimalveganvet.com. By the way, in case you did not know, my last name means castle, and that's why my logo, it's a castle.
1: Oh, cute.
2: Um, So like Castillo animal in Spanish means literally animal castle. So like as a forte for animals. And you guys can contact me through my website, fill out form that gets directly to me. So like you guys contact me. I live in Los Angeles and I practice in the San Fernando Valley. And I would say maybe one to two hours around LA, I could travel for surgeries. I do mostly high volume, which is bayonetor surgeries, but I do other kinds of soft tissue surgeries because I really, really love surgery.
1: Wow. Amazing. Well, I wish I lived in Los Angeles. Well, I don't actually wish I lived in Los Angeles, but you are a reason (laughs) I do wish I lived in Los Angeles.
2: Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I lived in Los Angeles and I didn't have you as a vet. So I'm going to go with that time machine and go back in time and figure this out. But in any case, maybe we could work on cloning you, Daniela, as I suggested at the beginning, and then all of our issues will be solved. Thank you so very, very much for all that you're doing to change the world for animals and for chatting with us
2: today. We totally adore you. Thank you so much for having me and for everything that you guys do for animals. We're in this together and one day maybe we would not be alive, but it's definitely going to happen. I really believe that. Oh, love it. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for this week's show. If you enjoy the podcast, we're asking for your support as we kick off our end of year fundraising. We understand that not everyone is in a position to contribute financially. And of course, I love you all no matter what, but we have had a rather challenging year. So if you are able, we could really use your help. And this is the perfect time to make a donation because between now and December 31st, all contributions will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000 if we make it to the 25,000. And so listen to me. We have so many exciting announcements. We have revamped our membership options. We would be totally honored if you would join our Flock Friends community starting at $10 a month or $100 a year. So visit ourhenhouse.org slash support to check out our new tiered membership levels with really great names, by the way. You can be a part of our Chick Click, our Squawk Squad, our Henhouse Heroes or, of course, our Bonyard benefactors. Some of the perks include weekly bonus content, access to our engaging flock-exclusive spaces in our online community, and get this, monthly invitations to join Marianne and me live in the audience for a virtual recording of an Our Hen House podcast interview where you can meet the guest and ask questions for the bonus segment. And listen, also, since we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, your donation is fully tax deductible to the full extent of the law. So if you appreciate our headhouse, and if you believe in our mission to mainstream the movement to end the exploitation of animals, and if you find community and solace in our shows and resources, and if you believe in the change-making power of independent media, Please make a donation before December 31st and your donation will be matched. Contributions of any amount are greatly appreciated and tax deductible to the full extent of the law. To support us today, visit ourhenhouse.org slash support. That's ourhenhouse.org slash support. Another great way to support us is to give us five stars on Spotify or leave a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us and leave reviews where you are able to on social media. Just find us at Our Hen House. And if you're one of the listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, to Vicki Beachler for her work in producing this podcast to composer Michael Herron for the music, thanks to Eric Montgomery of the Podcast Haven for his work editing this podcast, to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez, and to Veronica Walenska, who designed our amazing logos and other graphics. We'll be back next week with a brand new show, so don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher. Thank you so, so much for your support your compassion, and for your dedication to animals. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye.